Are you ready? Starting now? <laughs> well, now you just messed it up, you knob. God, you know that the shit that we go through for this, huh? I know. <laughs> fuckers, fuckers better appreciate it. When we started, we were just like, yeah, we're just going to do this, man. You know, shoot our wad into the wind and see what happens. <laughs> What's right. the title of this uh, podcast again? I don't know. Objects, I don't know. Something with a penis, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> our fucking faces are everywhere now. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but You're but welcome, ladies. <laughs> right. Popular with the ladies. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm not even going to apologize because I hopefully, hopefully it sounds <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, really? really, this is this is fucking explicit now. <laughs> ah, the explicit button. Let me use my finger. <sighs> la, 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 la. It is time for another episode of Sober, Not Mature. And that episode starts now. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to another episode of Sober, Not Mature. And if anyone's been paying attention, we do have another guest tonight. We'll let him introduce himself in a minute. We're starting off a couple of minutes late, which we'll let Mike explain that in a minute also. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got, if you've been following along on Instagram, uh, we've got Travis with us tonight. Two things that are cool. Number one, it's the second author that we've had head on, which is awesome. And then the other really cool thing, which I appreciate, another cheese head. So Travis, <laughs> go ahead and, go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> All right, so I am a cheesehead, but sadly, I'm actually a Baltimore Ravens fan. So that's you right. can hit on that, hit on <laughs> that as you will, but that's all right. Um, I don't care. It's where, it's, it's where you live, not who you, not who you like. So you live in Wisconsin. That's all that matters, man. Oh, that's perfect then. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I am a best-selling author of the book "My Life with Karma," which is my recovery story. Um, that published in August of 2021 and became a bestseller on Easter Sunday. So pretty cool. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Great. Appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go. No, go on. Oh, I was going to say, I'm also a person in recovery, um, since October of 2013. So coming nice. up on nine years. Yep. Wonderful. Wonderful, yeah. We've been we've been around for just a couple years longer than that, but uh, but welcome and uh, welcome to to this little podcast. And uh, we were talking just a little bit off the uh, before we started recording, and you've listened to us before, and you're still here, like Mike said. So that's a uh, that's an amazing that's an amazing feat in and of itself. But um, if you've listened, you probably kind of got an idea of. And I'll, again, I'll use my air quotes what our format is. Uh, but I'm going to let Mike explain it real quick, and then we can get going. Okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you know, basically, we all know how to get loaded. We all know how to fuck our lives up. We don't care about that. I mean, we want your backstory. We want you to qualify a bit. But mostly, we're concerned with the solution, what you're doing now, what you're doing now to stay sober. That's what we're interested in. Gotcha, man. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Cool. cool. So, I guess to kick it off... Um, yeah, uh, basically my story, like a lot of other people's, um, I started drinking early in high school, uh, didn't really ever have that much of a problem with alcohol, would, would get <laughs> drunk with friends, but it was never like a major issue. I was still getting all my stuff done, still playing sports, still doing what I needed to do, basically putting all the checks in all the right boxes. Right. So, right. I never really saw it as an issue. Um, get to college. I go to college with my best friend since kindergarten, and him and I basically set the goal of we're going to drink as much as we possibly can <laughs> and mm -hmm. still try to get decent grades. So I went to the co college in the middle of a cornfield in central Wisconsin and <laughs> um, Sheboygan, actually, Sheboygan area. So okay. if you're familiar with that at all. Yeah, yeah, that's and uh, 
yeah, drank heavily there. I was actually a vice president of Students Against Excessive Drinking, which really didn't make sense. I know, right? So here I am, champion alcoholic, but also trying to tell other, I guess, classmates, sure. cohorts, you know, what to do, what not to do while drinking. Um, right. Pretty interesting dynamic. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, after school, I went to the police academy, um, and then after the academy, I got hired on by the Wisconsin Capitol Police to hmm. do, I did dignitary protection for Governor Doyle and then Governor Walker, so a pretty cool career field to get into, and basically, I grew up in an abusive house, so I always wanted to kind of give people that protection that I didn't have. That was hmm. my whole goal of being an officer was just protect other people and do do my due diligence, do the best job I could. So and right. that that worked for a while until I injured my back. Um, I was really big into powerlifting too. Actually, I qualified for Worlds in Las Vegas, and this is around 2010. So huge into lifting, and one day I'm in the gym. And deadlifting, I think I had around 600 pounds on the bar at the time. And Damn. yeah, man, just bent down, tried to come up with the lift and felt something pop in my back. So, so that's when the injury started. And then a couple months later, I was at work and I was actually moving coolers for a protest that we had going on. And I just, I bent down, twisted the wrong way to pick up a cooler and my back went completely out. So um, I ended up herniating L4 and L5 and then eventually L5 ruptured. So um, that that was my introduction to opioids. Um, right. I, I was about to say, man, that'll get you some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went to a walk-in doctor the day I did it and they gave me the 20 milligram oxys. Um, and basically told me, here, we're going to give you these, take them for the next 30 days. Um, you're going to have to schedule an appointment with your primary doctor and then probably a surgeon. And I, I did okay the first 30 days. Um, mm. Then they re-upped the script for 90 days. Um, and that's, yeah, that's when I had issues. Yeah, um, that'll get you a habit. Yeah, exactly. So... Eventually, really what happened was I went from, you know, alcohol use, questionable in my life, and then mm -hmm. opioids just completely took over. Um, right. I remember clock watching was like the first thing I ran into, just mm -hmm. not being able to pretty much last that. I don't know if they said every two to three or every three to four hours, but I was right. definitely taking them like once every one to two hours and mm -hmm. blowing through my scripts. Right. So um, when I wasn't taking the Oxy then, I was taking horse butte. So I was mm. taking one-fifth the dose that they would give to a horse. Um, so basically, <laughs> yeah, basically like horse aspirin. Um, just anything to numb the pain was really right. what I was going for. And then I was still lifting in the gym. I was still lifting about 80% of what I was lifting, even Holy with crap. the back injury. Yeah, um, I was determined. Like I said, I qualified for Worlds. I also uh, picked up a sponsor from a supplement company. So I was mm -hmm. all in. Like I was just, I was ready to make my mark in the powerlifting world. And unfortunately, the back injury happened. So basically, where my story really turns to shit is um, I got cut off. And when I got cut off, I had no idea what I was going to do. I'm like, mm -hmm. look, this is, I can't survive. I can't even bend over and tie my shoes without being on Oxy. So, right. so it was the, the doctors that cut you off, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, essentially, they told me either I was going to have to have surgery or basically I, I had to find some alternative that they weren't going to keep me on the medication any longer. Okay. But by that time, I was so hooked on it, it didn't right. matter. I right. just, I needed it. And yeah. 
And yeah. unfortunately, you weren't a street cop, so you didn't have all those connections. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if you called that one. So, so, so wait, so there's, no, there's no there's no drugs in politics either. Hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> I just joke. Yeah. No, no, I got you. Not not the kind of drugs I was looking for at the time. Right. No, I get you. But, I got you. Yeah. So basically, um, a guy that I worked out with, um, he was juicing, and I knew he could get some other stuff. Now, when sure. I say other stuff, it was it ended up being a veterinarian grade um, painkiller that he was nice. getting through Canada. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the big caveat there was I had to buy in bulk, which to me mm. was not a big deal because I right. was like, look, I'm, I need this. I'm going to blow through it anyway. So I was getting um, 600 pills at a time. Holy shit. And yeah, exactly. So, and the vet grade stuff was nothing compared to the oxy. So I was taking anywhere from three to four pills, crushing them, snorting them, mm-hmm. um, basically just anything, once again, to numb the pain. That was right. my whole MO. Um, and eventually that got me to the point where I couldn't afford the vet grade stuff anymore. So I began stealing to support my habit. Sure. So mm-hmm. here I am, a cop working in the field, but also stealing to support my habit. And yeah, man, um, life just kind of continued to go down the shitter from there. So were you, um, and you're, you're married now and expecting a baby, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, oh, in yeah. December. Oh, congratulations. Oh, my God. That's right yeah. around the corner. Congratulations. I know, right? It's crazy. Thank you. <laughs> so I've got I've got a grandson. That's one thing. That's why I just blew my mind. I don't know why I got so... I almost got nervous for myself. <laughs> okay. Holy crap, a kid's coming. But um, so were you were you involved with your, your now wife at the time you were going through all this? Or anyone no. in your life to, to monitor all this stuff or no? No. So actually, I was married at the time to my first wife. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. And she... I hid shit from her. She had no idea right. um, whatsoever. She thought maybe I had a problem with alcohol and probably caffeine, but that was about <laughs> it. Um, and the reason I had the problem with the caffeine was from the opioids. So right. it was like I was constantly almost making my own eight balls by right. taking them and then just downing energy drinks with pre-workout, like just crazy shit. I'm surprised I didn't have a heart attack, to be real with you guys. But right. I made it through, so yeah. Um, she had no clue though, whatsoever. Okay, yeah. I was just kind of curious because um, I mean, at the time that that I went through I'm my whole mess, I mean, I was married, and um, you know, I, I got accused all the time, and I was, eh. I mean, she knew what was going on, but I guess basically couldn't. And here's my second air quote: couldn't prove it because I, I think I was hiding it relatively well. She could tell. I mean, I was hiding the stuff well, but I, I was drinking. But one way or the other, uh, just kind of curious if if through all that. If you had somebody kind of eyeballing you saying, oh, well, something's wrong with you, man. <laughs> yeah. Not, see, surprisingly, not really. And two, working in a building full of cops, you think mm-hmm. someone would have picked up on it or said something, right. but no one ever did. So hmm. I just kind of went about my way, continued on my path of destruction, and really no one ever intervened until one day I got caught um, stealing is really what broke the camel's back so to say right okay so yeah i essentially went into work one day um just like any other day and was greeted by a city detective and two officers and they sat me down dropped a file about two inches thick on the table and said look we know you've been stealing to support your habit um Mm. what do you have to say for yourself and basically i said look i need to talk to an attorney um, mm-hmm. I don't have anything to say to you guys. And I was promptly taken to jail and booked into the county jail. All right. So where, where were you stealing from? Was this stores or people or work or where were you stealing um, from? I was stealing credit card information from the gym that I worked out at. Okay. Ah. So, and then I was passing that along, getting paid for it and using that mm-hmm. money to buy the vet grade painkillers. Hmm. Yeah, sooner or later, I mean that's gonna that's gonna leave a paper trail. So yeah, yeah, I, I guess exactly. It, uh... <laughs> okay, yeah, so I now... was not a smart criminal whatsoever. Like, <laughs> did not 
did not think about the paper trail, really did not think about anything other than just getting my fix. Well, right. You know, and the, the thing of it is, is as smart as I, I think some criminals think they are, sooner or later, I mean, especially in this situation, whether it's in, a, in an addiction type of situation, I would think that there's going to be a time when you just you physically can't cover your tracks. <laughs> you don't have the yeah. you don't have the ability to cover your tracks. I mean, that's how people get caught because uh, they're usually not you know one hundred percent. This could be smart people, but um, I think everyone's going to mess up sooner or later. Oh yeah, I totally agree with you. I think too after you do it for a while too, you become more comfortable, and sure. it's that it's that comfort level that gets you because all of a sudden right. you get sloppy. And you well, do yeah. things and, and that to Bill's point, initially you said you wouldn't do. Right. Well, and to Bill's point, you're fucking loaded, so <laughs> you're not all that sharp. <laughs> exactly. That's that's a very good point on top of it. <laughs> Reminds me of Dave Chappelle talking in one of his things. He's talking about smoking weed versus hard drugs, and he says you can, you can smoke some weed and still function. He says you're not crisp, <laughs> but, you, but you can function. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, you get you're on opioids or you know, loaded up on booze or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, you, you may think, you know, think you're kind of smart, but um, and you may be, but yeah, sooner or later, sooner or later is going to get caught up with you so okay so now you're you're sitting in jail you got a, a two-inch thick file standing in front of you what what happens now yeah um so eventually i get released um and i had 13 misdemeanor charges so mm. for essentially each time i stole uh, credit card information it came with a charge so right. and then um Back and forward, back and forward between my attorney, district attorney. They finally agree that I'm going to do six months in, six months on the bracelet, and then three and a half years on probation. Um, did my time in all right. Uh, it was not easy, especially being in the same county where I worked as a cop. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, the hardest part was not the inmates, but seeing other guys that like work for the sheriff's department that I knew from special events, things like right, that. Right. Yeah. The COs, um, right. Yeah, exactly, man. And some of them like basically left me alone. Some made my life more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was a really hard period of my life um, just to get through. Um, basically I went into survival mode. It was just, what do I need to do today to get by so mm-hmm. that I can survive another day. I mean, it was right. almost like using only to a different degree. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and actually, it's kind of good training for being sober. What do I have to do today to survive today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's very true. Um, that's a great point. So did you, while you were in there, did you get involved in any type of, uh, I mean, you had to have gone through some sort of withdrawal while you were in there, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I actually, so to, to rewind a little bit, like mm-hmm. I got booked and released. So I actually did something that's not incredibly intelligent and I <laughs> detoxed myself at home. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I set myself up one weekend, basically went to a local drugstore, got Pedialyte, all the stuff I thought I would need and mm-hmm. ended up just being deathly ill for about three to four days. Um, I write about it in my book just as one of the worst, worst things that I have ever gone through in right. terms of just trying to get sober and really not knowing what I was doing. Obviously not there taking any kind of, you know, safety measures aside from, oh, Pedialyte and water and some uh, protein bars. But that's about all I had. So, yeah, yeah man. But I got through it, so. Right. Yeah, you do. I mean, you know, yes, opiate <laughs> opiate withdrawal is a fucking pain in the ass and you hurt, but it's not going to kill you, unlike alcohol withdrawal. Right, yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. It's uh, So how long were you using before you, you did that? Um, I would say for consistently for about seven months. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it had gotten, do it. Yeah, it had gotten to the point where I was I was up to around twenty some pills a day mm-hmm. was where I peaked at. Um, right. Yeah, man, and it it was a mess. I mean, I was a mess, and mm-hmm. really the only thing that kind of helped me at the time was 
I went to counseling. Um, my attorney advised me, he's like, look, you're going to need to get yourself clean. You're going to need to get into some kind of counseling and mm-hmm. basically show the court that you're making an effort here. Right. And right. so I did that. But I never really, at that time, I never really embraced sobriety. Like, mm-hmm. I was going through the motions. I kind of treated it like a college course. Like, I learned as much <laughs> as I could. I went mm-hmm. in, and I was an active participant. But at the end of the day, I was still white-knuckling it, still didn't really believe that there was a better life or really what people were telling me. Mm-hmm. And I also questioned, too, I'm like, I, in the back of my mind, I always questioned, well, maybe I can still use alcohol. Like, sure. <laughs> and... And that, that is what led to my rock bottom. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, I get off of the ankle bracelet, and one night I'm at home, I'm just up, I can't sleep, and I decide to go to a bar. Um, and that bar, that evening, I, I believe they had softball and some kind of specials going on. So they had Long Island specials. That's the only <laughs> thing I remember from the night. And these these are big boy Long Islands. They're Wisconsin uh-huh. pores. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know how many of those I had. I think in the book I wrote anywhere from 8 to 12 in about a two-hour time span. And nice. so I was just putting them down. Well, yeah. Long, and, and Long Islands are usually, what, three to five shots of shit in there anyhow, right? Yeah, exactly, and just a splash of cola. So, <laughs> just enough yeah. to give it some color. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> so basically, I down the Long Islands, and in my infinite wisdom, decide I can drive home. Of course. Um, I, yep, on my drive home, I crash my car into a curb coming into our neighborhood, get out of the car, try to drive it off the curb, realize something's hung up in the front end, it's not going to happen. So I'm like, great, going to have to collect my shit and walk home. Um, and then I was like, but first I have to pee and I think I'm going to throw up. So <laughs> went went to the neighbor's bushes, um, you know, urinated, threw up, just trying to get my shit together. And I guess what happened was I'm about to walk home and now I feel like I'm going to be sick again. So I leaned up against a car ended up setting off a car alarm and mm. all hell broke loose. Um, in our neighborhood, we were experiencing car break-ins. My car had just <laughs> been broken into like three weeks prior. So not a good time to be fucking around. And basically this neighbor comes outside. He's got one of the big Meg light flashlights and he's screaming all sorts of obscenities. Like if I catch you, what I'm going to do to you, all sorts of shit. So I decide I'm going to try to duck down behind a car and hide. Well, <laughs> I'm like, I'm six feet. I'm 230 pounds. Like, I'm a big dude. Hiding right. did not work for me. So, <laughs> so he sees me. I promptly open the car, slide in the car, and lock the doors. So now I'm locked in a car, and I've got this guy outside the window just screaming at me. And I'm drunk trying to explain to him, look, man, I'm trying to walk home. Like, right. he seemed to relax a little bit. So I was like, okay, cool. Maybe this guy's going to be chill and I can get out of the car. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as I got out of the car, he said I lunged at him. I'm pretty sure I just took a drunk stumble. Right. And <laughs> yeah. And he proceeded to beat me with the Meglite flashlight. Oh, shit. Sure. Um, yeah, I fractured my skull in three different places, uh, had a traumatic brain injury, um, a concussion on top of the traumatic brain injury, and basically was just beat unconscious. Um, right. The next thing I know, EMS is there, and they're taking me to the hospital. Um, the first hospital they took me to couldn't, they, they basically looked at the extent of my injuries and said, look, we're not suited for this. So then I had to go to the neighboring UW hospital. Um, within the next 24 hours, I had two surgeries, one to remove all the air that had gotten inside my, my skull, um, Shit. inside my brain cavity, and then another one to repair 
all the damage that was done to the left side of my face. Um, they ended up putting in three titanium plates that pretty much holds, well, at the time, held everything together. So, and then on top of it, so I'm recovering in the hospital. Um, I'm there for about a day and a half and the police come and they give me a disorderly conduct ticket. But since I'm on probation for the thefts, Mm-hmm. I violate my probation. So I get oh, taken shit. back to jail. <laughs> yeah. So I get taken back to Coney jail. Um, once I'm at Coney, they look me over and decide I'm not fit for general population. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a medical wing. So I went from basically being in the hospital to then solitary confinement in the jail. Oh, shit. So yeah, so I spent the next seven days recovering in solitary confinement until they said I was fit for general pop. Um, I also lost my ability to speak and my ability to write. So I wasn't able to articulate what I needed, what was going on. Um, I had what's called aphasia, where I would get mm-hmm. stuck on words, the same thing a lot of stroke patients go through. Right. And that okay. was all from the brain injury. So basically there I was just in jail, just me and my thoughts, um, thinking I may never totally speak again. I may never write again. Um, really just not knowing what the hell was going to happen with me. And fortunately the speech slowly came back, um, as my brain healed. And then I had to reteach myself how to write. So while I was in jail, I, uh, did like the ABCs did a big A, little A, big B, little B, and Mm. so on, and just kind of retaught myself how to write. Um, That took a couple months, but I had time, so. Right. um, (laughs) So all during this time, um, in the background, my attorney's working, trying to basically get me out of there. Um, My probation agent is like, there's no way we're revoking him. So eventually I ended up getting revoked, um, spending six months total in jail, and then nine months more on the ankle bracelet, and then owing four years on felony probation. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So that was, that was my rock bottom. Um, that's where basically I was like, look, I need to stop doing what I'm doing or I'm going to wind up dead or or end up hurting someone else. Mm-hmm. So at, at that point, I mean, when when all this stuff starts coming back, and then you have this realization that you that you need to you know mend your ways, did you did you go to any type of a structured type of recovery program, or what did you do from from that point forward? I did, I did. So once I got out of jail, um, I went back to the counseling facility that I had initially gone to. And they put me into an IOP program, so intensive okay. outpatient treatment. Sure. Right. So I was going um, Monday through Friday for three hours each day in the morning. And then I was staying on as a mentor and basically helping with other people that had just kind of decided they wanted to find recovery. People mm-hmm. that were, you know, just just new to the program is really kind of the way I look at it and just trying to guide them the best to my ability based on what I had experienced. So that's kind of what we all do. Exactly, man. Exactly. (laughs) So So it was the, me sober for a while. Yeah. So the counseling part and then, uh, and I guess what I was getting at, so, you know, we're like, so that's where you started in, you get the counseling. Did you go to, and, and Mike and I got raised up and Mike's been involved in a couple of different programs, but you know, we ended up, getting involved in the AA program. Did you do anything like 12 step? Did you do another program or how did you basically, what are you doing? You know, these days, how did you stay sober and, and, you know, for 90 years now? Yeah. So I did work a program. Um, I went to a place called the serenity club, which, um, AA based and mm-hmm. pretty much, um, got hooked up with a, Oh my goodness. What's the name? Um, a sponsor. That, sure. Oh right. My gosh. Can't believe I couldn't pull that one. Um, That's and, right. and you know, um, really just learn from people that were older and wiser than me is right. Really kind of what did it. Um, 
And That's what does it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the other the other part of it was being transparent, just mm-hmm. being honest with people, saying, mm-hmm. "Look, this is what I'm struggling with," or "This is really like I I'm having cravings," or whatever it may be, and mm-hmm. realizing, "Holy shit, I'm not that unique. I'm not the only right. one." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one, man. Yes, we are not unique. We are not special. We are not different. Exactly. And that was huge for me because for so long, mm-hmm. I think I I put it all on my own shoulders, like in terms of getting sober, in terms of everything I did in my life. I was like, look, I'm just I've got this. And now mm-hmm. it's like I I'm the exact opposite. I give it up to a higher power. <laughs> And I say, right. look, I don't have this. I mm-hmm. need help. And it works a hell of a lot better. Doesn't it? Yeah, it really <laughs> does, man. Well, you know, the, the funny thing, too, and uh, I'll let Mike explain his side of things, but I was I was kind of the, not even kind of, I was the same way. I mean, I was, I never, I'll, I'll just basically say I never really took care of myself people helped me throughout my life, although I was, I took credit for it. You know, again, I was unique. I was an egotist. I still am, but less (laughs) narcissistic was what I more so what I was. But so Mm -hmm. I took credit for people helping me through my, my life up to that point. But then once I got sober, then it's like, okay, then it can't be me and I need other people's help and all those different things. But then the, the whole higher power thing was difficult for me. I didn't have a, I didn't have a God problem. I had no issue at all with religion. I just didn't have a base in it, you know. So I figured out over the years that, if anything, I'm I'm agnostic. Whereas Mike, I'll let him explain his side. Right. Well, yeah, I'm an atheist, um, <laughs> and it scared the hell out of me because I'd been around the rooms before, and I knew that I needed to find that power greater than myself. Um, and thankfully, I again open and honest and and asking for help and um i shared that fear with other grown men which is one of the toughest things you can do (laughs) and um, you know and and an old timer looked at me early on when i was being open and saying i don't know what the hell i'm going to do about this part of the program and he looked at me and he said kid it doesn't matter what your higher power is you just need to know it's not you anymore and it was a place for me to start you know um, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous is a power greater than me. You know, being a part of uh, several communities is there, it's something that's more powerful than me by myself. And that works for me. Exactly. No, I understand that completely. And see, before I was able to really open up to people, um, mm-hmm. I rescued this dog um, that I named Karma. And that's where my life with karma comes into play. Ah, um, oh, nice. And, and basically, so this poor animal was at a drug house, tied to a tree, um, probably being used as a bait dog, just right. in horrible, horrible shape. And I went out there one day and decided I was going to bring her home. So I cut her free from the tree with a bolt cutter, took her home, and she became my ride or die. So before I was mm. comfortable really talking to people i told mm-hmm. on myself to her like we, <laughs> man we used to cover so much pavement on these long walks and i just remember opening up and just being like talking to her just like i would any other person and saying look mm-hmm. this is this is what i'm struggling with or this is where i need help and it really mm-hmm. trained me to to be open and to really mm-hmm. be able to talk to people because for so long, I just couldn't do that. Like, or right. I wouldn't allow myself to do that. Right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Mike talks about that too. You know, he, um, again, being an atheist, he prays in the morning and prays at night. Um, and, you know, his he's said it on here before plenty of times. Um, he does not think that anyone's listening, right, Mike? I mean, but you're talking, right. you know. Yeah, doesn't matter. Right. I'm taking the action. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. doesn't matter if anything's listening to me. I'm doing it. Yeah, man. Yeah. And that's so powerful because yeah. honestly, just you're you're doing like you said, you're doing it like you're right. literally making yourself do something that at times I'm sure probably felt really fucking uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It doesn't make sense. And, and all that stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. You know, I, I mean, the big book says this is a simple program of action. And if you take the actions, you get the results. 
Yeah. So far, man, 12, almost 12 and a half years. Yeah, I've found that to be absolutely true. <laughs> and we we joke about it all the time that uh, and it is it's a it's a simple program for complicated people we were told that right away we were told mm-hmm. and you know same thing that mike just said because i didn't know what to believe in and that we they somebody told mike that and then they said it in group you know just realize that it's not you and i'm like oh okay i can do that um but on top of that too is just can continuously again doing the action doing this thing over and over and over again all this stuff becomes just habit, you know. It's like, it's like breathing. You know, I don't have to think about breathing. I just, I just, just happens, you know. And that's what this, this whole recovery thing has been. But the biggest thing is that, uh, that yeah, taking that action, um, and that was one of the things that was uh, drilled into us. I mean, from from the start, don't tell me what you did. Do it. Don't don't say you're sorry. Show the person. You know, the this whole thing with making amends to people. Some people you can't just say you're sorry to. You know, and I, I tried not to. I tried to show people, and I still do every single day. You know, so it's a mm-hmm. it's a constant process. But man, is it it's better than uh, been doing what we did before, though, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I mean, think uh, the way I look at it, if I put as much effort into my sobriety as I did to finding drugs, to hiding it, to lying, mm-hmm. to stealing, I mean, it, I'm, I'm going to reap the rewards as long as I put the effort in and yep. keep showing up. And yep. the thing that I see, too, and that I've in these last nine years really come to admire is the lifestyles and the changes of people that have extended time, when you Mm -hmm. can look and say, man, that person, they, at least on the outside, look like they have their shit together and they're living (laughs) a good life. Well, I mean, that's something to be desired. Right. And that, that goes a long way, at least with me, because I'm like, okay, if they can achieve it, this isn't some magical formula. It's literally, they're doing step after step then mm-hmm. I can do the same thing. Like, there's no right. reason I can't do that as long as I put the effort in. Exactly. Exactly. You know, right. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting in my big old house right now, you know, um, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I was sitting on a piece of cardboard in San Francisco shooting heroin. <laughs> I don't have yeah. to live that way today. Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, and there's a there's a lot of times too, and uh, um, we've we watched uh, and have continue to watch, but watched a lot of uh, people with um, a lot of time and a lot of people with medium amounts of time and things like that when we first got sober. And, and some sometimes you look at it, and um, it it is it's a quality of what that how that person carries themselves, you know, and the thing that was difficult for me sometimes, and I still hear this. I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts also, and a lot of times people are talking about you know, the things that they have, these are all the things I was able to buy, or I have this job or that job, but it's like, okay, cool. You know, so you were able to to obtain this, but, but what's going on inside of you, you know, because a lot of us had things like that while we were, you know, drinking and drugging, we, maybe, maybe we had more money, maybe we had bigger jobs and all that stuff. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't happy. There was times in my life that I, I made more money than I'm making now. I had more things. I owned a home, all those sort of things. But man, I was fucking miserable, you know? So, so much of what I, at least I feel it. And again, Mike and I are pretty much on the same page with these things. I think mm-hmm. I know we are, but you know, it's not the, we have some stuff and we like our stuff and we like some nice yes, things. Um, but man, Take all that stuff away first. Don't take away all this stuff that's inside of me. That I don't want to lose. I can I can get stuff back. You know, it's not easy, you know, but I can get stuff back. Man, to, but to try to rebuild what, what he and I have done in, like you said, almost 12 and a half years, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> right. Oh, no. What, is, what do you say, Mike? Burn way too many calories at, t- at this point. Yeah, I've burnt, yeah exactly. I've burned <laughs> way too many calories. to get to get that peace and that serenity that they promised me I would get if I did the work, you know? And that's that's what Bill's talking about. Yeah, I got stuff. Yes, I like my stuff. It's great stuff. If I lost it again, I've, you know, I've literally had the clothes on my back and, and absolutely no money in my pocket. Um, but I was, you know, I, I have stuff, but I have, I'm comfortable with myself today, which you can't put a price on. I have, I lay my head down at night and, and like our sponsor used to say, I don't have those cowboys and Indians going nuts in my head anymore. <laughs> They're gone. 
Yeah, and what a beautiful thing, honestly. Man. Absolutely. So I, I'm also, I'm dual diagnosed. So I'm also, mm-hmm. I, I struggle with uh, bipolar. And mm-hmm. one of the greatest gifts was once I got the drugs and the alcohol out of the way, I was actually mm-hmm. able to address the mental health side of things. And it was right. like, holy shit, talk about opening your eyes and being like, wow, well, now all of this makes so much more sense to me. Why I was mm-hmm. doing some of the things I was doing, taking some of those risk taking behaviors, doing mm-hmm. some of the crazy shit. And I just looked at it when I was in it like, oh, this is just me. This is who I am. And now right. I look at it like, damn, man, this is part of a disease. This is mm-hmm. something that I also have to be aware of. And it's just but but now I'm able to actually counteract it and I'm able to to do the things that I want to do and not let the bipolar win. And that's mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful thing. And you can just build mm-hmm. on those small victories. Right. Well, and I think. Yeah. Go ahead, Bill. No, I was just going to say, I think that, uh, I don't want to say common, but I've heard of, and I can't, honestly, Mike and I, in in our circle, I can't think of anyone in our circle, but I'm sure there has been people that we want to run across that found out they they were bipolar. But there's, again, listening to all these podcasts and reading things, that seems to be, uh, uh, again, if nothing, common's probably the wrong word. It's something that happens on a semi-regular basis where people, you know, clear out all the clutter and all of a sudden they figure out there is an underlying thing. You know, they're like, Mm -hmm. bipolar seems to be um, one of the things that pops up with a lot of people. And like you said, it it causes some some crazy behavior in people. There was a buddy of mine, and this is while I was, uh, my my son's mom and I were still together. And I didn't know um, he was bipolar. had no idea, but he would always take his meds. And he and I used to go out every once in a while and we went up to this bar and he was, uh, he was, Drinking, you know, I mean, nothing real out of the ordinary, but then he started started drinking Jack Jack and Coke, I think, or something like that, which is, you know, again, not out of the ordinary. But, you know, I, like, turn around, he's talking to somebody, and the dude's fucking loaded, and then he's going off on somebody, he's wanting to fight people. So I'm like, dude, we got to go, man, because so, he's about to get kicked out. So he's in my car, we're driving home, and he, he tells me, he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't take my meds today. What are you talking about, man? He's like, hey, he goes, I'm bipolar. I'm like, bing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, exactly. I'm like, now that makes sense. And then uh, he's like, I'm going to be sick. And I had like a brand new car at the time. I uh, pulled over, opened the door, throws up out the out the car. But again, the the difference in his behavior. He and I had, had spent a lot of time in probably a one or two year period. Um, but one day it was like one day off his meds, man, and it just it did. He was at alcohol, and he went nuts, man. Right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, a lot of us, you know, a lot of us have the, the, the mental health problems and we're self-medicating with stuff that we shouldn't be self-medicating with. And then we get addicted to that stuff and, you know, and, and it just compounds the problem. You know, right. I mean, you, you've got this mental problem and so you're, you're medicating yourself with drugs that aren't meant to do that, but it sort of solves the problem. It kind of, it well, you know, it does what it's supposed to do. It makes you feel better, you know, <laughs> whether it's vodka or pills or whatever, you know, it, it makes you feel better. And, but then you get the problem with the substance. And if you're do, do, dual diagnosed and you have this alcoholism that we have, um, that we react differently to the substances and we can't stop on our own, you know, then it just compounds. So, yeah, so then you take away the, the booze and the drugs, and you're still fucked up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, at least, but, at le- but at least you're clear-headed enough at that point to address the problem the way it's supposed to be addressed, not try to do it on your own. Yeah. Again, that problem. Exactly, and that's so true. And I think with that clear-headedness, too, comes you, you pick up these tools along the way that you learn from other people or you learn from a counselor, mm-hmm. And when you're clear-headed, you can utilize them. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, wow, this is a difference. I can actually do things aside from just self-medicating that help my mental health. And mm-hmm. for me, that was like this aha moment that I never had before. Because what I would do is when I felt uncomfortable, it's like I mm-hmm. would drink. Right. Or right. I would use. But mm-hmm. now that those aren't an option, it's like, okay, I actually have to feel my feelings and mm-hmm. get, like get used to that and it's, <laughs> right it's different but it's it's also a beautiful thing right right and we also find out that b- 
being uncomfortable isn't the worst thing in the world. We get through it. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's so right. true. Yeah. You know, I mean, because that's, you know, the, the fear and the ego. And, you know, we, we don't want to be uncomfortable. Guess what, man? Be a little uncomfortable for a minute. It's okay. First of all, it's going to pass. You know, it doesn't last forever. And, <laughs> and second of all, guess, you know, being a little uncomfortable is kind of okay. Oh, for sure. And, like, right. you, you guys asked before, like, what I do to maintain my sobriety. Yeah. Another thing mm -hmm. I do is I speak. Um, right. And I go to events, and not only do I talk about my book, but I talk about recovery. And mm -hmm. I'll be honest, it's uncomfortable a lot of the time because <laughs> – sure. I have social anxiety. I don't necessarily do well. Like that's why I wrote a book because it's easier for me to write than it is to talk in front of people. But <laughs> what I'm finding is being uncomfortable is actually it's helping other people because they see right. it and they realize, okay, if this guy can do it, then I can tell my story. Or if this guy can do it, then I can be a little uncomfortable and maybe mm -hmm. disclose something that usually I don't. And, right. and that's what's kind of given me permission to be like, okay, well, fuck my feelings. I'm going <laughs> to do you. this thing and, <laughs> and honestly do it to the best of my ability. And hopefully if I help one person along the way, it's worth mm -hmm. it. Right. Right. Exactly. That, that Again, you know, smashing our ego. We are not the most important thing. Maybe we should be a little uncomfortable to help somebody else. That's the beautiful, and if we do that, for some strange reason, our lives get better. Go figure. <laughs> and you know that the funny part too is that I can't tell you how many times that feeling uncomfortable has actually helped me because if I'm in a situation um, and I start to feel uncomfortable, that's also a red flag in my head. There's the uncomfortableness of being in, like you said, a social anxiety or whatever that deal is. And I get all that. Mm -hmm. But there's another thing where you're sitting someplace and you're like, um, I'm just, I, I feel off. I feel uncomfortable. I need to go, you know, or you're at a wedding, you're at a, a social event, whatever the deal is, that uncomfortableness I think is a, is a beautiful thing. So I love being uncomfortable because it's either it means that I'm, I'm growing because if I'm uncomfortable, it means I'm into something I'm not used to and it's not mm -hmm. like a mainstream thing for me. So it means I'm growing or it is, it's a, it's a, it's an alarm in my head that says something's wrong. I, I got to go or I got to figure out what, why do I feel this way? I got to go, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, I think it's a uncomfortableness is a, it's a necessity. It really is mm -hmm. for us people, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Probably, probably exactly. for everybody. So let's, uh, in, you know, I'm, I want you to, uh, we both obviously like you to talk about the book. I mean, I, in the promos this week, I've mentioned it, and I'll, I'll do the same thing on the episode. I know your Amazon link is on your Instagram page, but uh, talk about the book, anything you want. We want to be able to get information out to as many people as possible about the book, um, How maybe how you started it, where they can find it, um, anything you want to talk about. Let's Let's do that. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Like, with the book, I mean, basically, it took me two years to write. I decided that I'd read so much literature when it came to recovery, and what I wanted to introduce was a raw, gritty story that was like just straight up transparent that said, this is, this is the shit I went through. <laughs> and, and I wanted to put that out there for people. And on top of it, too, being former law enforcement, I wanted, right. to, I wanted to do it to crush some of that stigma. Because mm -hmm. so many people look at law enforcement and they make a differentiation and they, they don't necessarily see a person. They see, right. they see a cop. And right. at the they end of the, the day, yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like at the end of the day, there's still people and they still suffer right. the same shit that everyone else does. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was a point I really wanted to drive home in my book. Because so often you don't see that side of law enforcement. Well, I think it's interesting, too, you know, that, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay, you're a cop, but um, you're also a human. And this disease does not <laughs> does not uh, spare anyone because of what they do for a living. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's 100% true. So, right. so really, like when I was writing, I, I was thinking of all these different things. And I'm just like. 
man, I just need to get this out into the world and see how they respond to it. And fortunately, mm-hmm. people, it's, it's helped people. And they've said, look, reading your book really opened my eyes to things that I never thought about in addiction before or mm-hmm. opened my eyes to the way I, I view someone who could have a substance abuse problem. Because right. I, I even had fellow officers tell me, mm. look, man, like this was something I needed to read because I've become numb to it. And right. it's just like, man, I'm so glad you took the time to read it. And let's talk about that. And that's the other mm-hmm. thing. Like the book has raised so many, so many discussions and so many points of topics that, I mean, I could talk to you guys for a couple hours. It's just, mm-hmm. it's crazy, but it's great because talking about recovery also helps keep us sober. Right. And, right. and the biggest thing that I've seen is with the book, it's allowed people to come out of their shells and say, hey, well, I was experiencing this or mm-hmm. I've had problems with, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be substance use. It can also be mental health because I address right. that as well. So it's really become just a tool for a lot of people to recover. And it's very cool. It's just, I'm, I'm fortunate. And I thank God that I was able to put it out into the world. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the beautiful things, man. We, when we realize that, again, we're not alone. We're not unique. Like you said, you know, we, there are others that are like us and we can help each other. And that's, that's the bottom line. We don't have to go through this alone anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you had asked, um, the book's available on Amazon. It's also available through barnesandnoble.com. Um, otherwise, there's a site called Kobu, too. Some people use that. But basically, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble are your best bet. Yeah, cool. yeah, and I'm familiar with the other one. I forget one of my one of my recovery books, because it's uh, K-O-B-U, right? Or K-O-B-O? Yeah. Yeah, one um, of the two? Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, and it was uh, well, it was one of my recovery books. I couldn't find it anywhere else uh, at one point uh, years ago when I when I first started putting stuff on my phone. Um, I ended up going going through there, but uh, so the main ones, Amazon, obviously, and that link is in your in your bio on your Instagram page, and we're going to put that not only in the that'll be in the description for obviously the episode. So any place the episode goes, Apple, Spotify, all the other players, it'll be in the description. So your Instagram page will be on there. Um, but then also when we do the promo, same deal. We'll have your Instagram you know page on there too. And then um, yeah, if if um, Anyone wants to find you outside of that, anywhere outside of Instagram or you on Facebook, any other place where you or is Instagram the best place for people to find you? Um, I would say actually Facebook um, for sure. Like I will respond. I interact with my readers all the time on Facebook. Um, it's It's been a pretty good platform for me. I'm also active on TikTok as well. So okay. um, mm. just I mess around with that and make fun videos. I'm into uh, collecting sports cards. So I do some sports card stuff on there. Um, just try to keep it light and fun. Sure. Yeah. Well, do me do me a favor. When uh, um, After all said and done, if you want to just email me the links for your, uh, obviously for Facebook and for TikTok, I'll put, I'll put all three of those in the, not only in the episode description, but when, we, when we're promoting the episode this week, uh, because obviously we want to have an opportunity for, for people to find you. And the, the book itself, you said, has been out for how long? Um, a little over a year. So it published in August of 2021. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah, can it? I mean, it sounds like if uh, you you said the you said the words bestseller, so I'm guessing it uh, <laughs> somebody's responding to it, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, really cool. I I woke up Easter Sunday morning and uh, it just had a plethora of sales, man, and it was so cool because it just took off that day for whatever reason. I mean, once again, you just look at higher power and shit you can't explain, but. <laughs> um, it did it, and and I'm grateful because um, that led to more reviews, which led to more readers, and it just kept the ball rolling. So very cool. I do have a question though, sure. and this one goes to Mike. Mike, what did yeah. you get for your tattoo? Today? Oh yeah, I meant to bring that up before. <laughs> <laughs> I got a uh, purple tarantula up on my shoulder. 
Really, man? Oh, dude. yes, I did. Okay, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, take a take a picture of that. We'll throw it up on Instagram. You know, it's funny. I was uh, I was actually gonna gonna thank you, Travis, to begin with, because we for everyone out there, you're never gonna know the difference, but. Um, <clears throat> We ended up starting like a half hour late because yeah, Mike Mike had an appointment to to get his tattoo. I was done under today. the gun. <laughs> yeah, Mike was Mike was under the done gun getting more getting another tattoo more ink on him. But um, Travis was right. Travis was cool enough to you know obviously uh, give us that leeway. So yeah, we we started a recording about a half hour late. But yeah, Mike, take a picture of it. We'll throw it up on Instagram. Yeah, we'll get there. Well, it's got the derm stuff on it now, so I'll get one up when you know in a couple of days when it comes off. You know, a real man would just take that off and take a picture, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, I'd like it to heal properly. Yeah, whatever, man. That's, that's okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, you know, see, I don't have, I don't have to live that way with you know the the hair dryer uh, motor and the guitar string. And no jailhouse tattoos for me anymore. Uh, and you can't. And you don't. Uh, you don't react to my to my at least my attempted at peer pressure. So that's awesome. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> no, I know. That's the best part. I can give you a little bit of shit, and you're just like, yeah, fuck off, man. I'm doing this. Yep, yep. <laughs> so um, what else, Travis? Anything else that you want to, to get out there to people? Anything else you want to talk about um, in the next, I don't know, five minutes? What do, you, what do you got? Yeah, man. I would say, so one of the biggest takeaways from my book is that no one recovers alone. And I truly believe that. Like, I believe that in order to achieve recovery and really kind of, you know, live the life that we want or honestly, man, deserve, um, mm -hmm. we've, we've got to connect. And it's just a matter of being willing to be transparent, be honest, and connect with people that are wiser and more mature than yourself. It's, I mean, for me, it was that simple. It was getting out of my own way and being like, okay, let me turn this thing over and let me do some handoffs and talk to people that have some time. And that's, that's really what got the ball rolling for me. And that's what I want to see for other people is that connection. Um, mm -hmm. don't, be, don't be afraid of the people in recovery. I mean, some of us seem a little fucking weird and we probably are. <laughs> yeah. but, you know? take, take a look at Mike. Yeah, take a look at Mike. I right. <laughs> But no, you're you're 100 correct on that because that's uh, um, and I, I've talked about it endlessly. But um, I mean, basically, it's the the opposites uh, that we've been involved in, and not not just Mike and I, but you know, older people, younger people, people from all different backgrounds. Um, and you know what? It's funny because my my family when when I first when I first went into the the Keating Center where we got sober, I was over at my aunt and uncle's house, and my uncle is the one that asked me. He said uh, he said, "Hey, he goes, I hope you don't mind me asking, but he said, isn't it uncomfortable talking to all these strangers about what you're going through?" I'm like, honestly, I'm more uncomfortable talking to you than I am them. You know, <laughs> and I and I, no offense to it, because I loved him to death. He was. He was awesome. He was easy to talk to. But if I'm going to talk about this stuff, I want to talk to people who, and, and I didn't know that then, but people who understand, if you said it before, Travis, people who have been there and all that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. you just don't, you don't realize how, um, I don't know, how liberating, how freeing that is to, to have somebody that just, you know, shakes their head and you're like, eh, I get it. Right. Yeah. I've been there, done that. Yeah. Right. And I have the solution too. Exactly. And it gets you, like I said, it gets you out of your head and it, it stops you from thinking that you're terminally unique, that <laughs> yep, you're right. like this one <laughs> special person that, okay, this has happened to. It's like, no, hell no. Like you could right. go, I mean, I, I guarantee, man, I could walk through my neighborhood right now and find mm -hmm. someone that's struggling. Oh, and, sure. Right. Yep. And it's just like, you know, we've we've got to join together to try to help people and and give the gifts that we receive, give them back. And that's right. That's what I try to do every day. Give it away to keep it. Yep. exactly, man. Awesome. Well, all right. I mean, Travis, uh, thank you. Thank you very, very much for again yeah. being patient. Uh, it was a great conversation. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, we'll get all the information up on our, um, obviously, in the description. Oh, last thing, take a look at our website. It's your choice. We've offered this to a few other people. If you want us to put your profile, um, profile your book on our website, we have a sponsor page. I'll let you take a look at that and see how it's set up. Just go to SoberNotMature.com, hit the sponsor page. If you want us to add you to that, 
We don't charge anyone for doing it, but it gives another opportunity in a space, you know, for, for people to find your book. But we'll get everything put in the description and the promotions and, you know, hopefully help you out with that book. But thank you again. We really appreciate it. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Mike, I hope your tattoo heals well, man. <laughs> it will. I, I went to a professional shop again. I don't need to live that way anymore. <laughs> and if uh, Travis, awesome. have, have you heard how we wrap up the episodes or no? Uh, yeah, I have. Oh, okay, cool. So you won't be surprised by it. Mike, do you have the new ending? I do. Okay, cool. First of all, I always ask this question. <laughs> Mike, anything else on your mind? Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> All right. Then Travis and I will be quiet. We'll let you close out. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Sober Not Mature. We want to thank Travis for coming and hanging out with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Go find this book, man. As always, be kind. Be good to each other. Do something nice for somebody else this week. And as always, please, please, fuck off. Then keep fucking off. Keep fucking off until you get to a gate with a sign saying, you can't fuck off past here. Climb over the gate, dream the impossible dream, and keep fucking off forever. <laughs> I love that so much. And if you didn't hear that part, <laughs> Travis, our sister gave us that. So, like, a, like we, Yes, she did. We told t- Tip last weekend, uh, she's sick and twisted too. So, yeah, we love her to death. But, all right, Travis, thanks again. <laughs> Mike, I love you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Love you too. All right, guys. Have Excellent. a good one. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to another episode of Sober, Not Mature. To access all of our content and interact with us, please visit our website, SoberNotMature.com. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you soon.